You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. On your way there, I do have a picture from last week up here. Thank you. Linnell's filling in. Appreciate that this morning. Justin gave me a picture this week. I have not seen Justin this morning, but maybe he's watching somewhere. We'll see this, so I'm thankful for it. This is last week we were in chapter 1, finishing chapter 1. Remember little Samuel, maybe three years old, and Hannah took Samuel to the house of the Lord, and Justin drew the house of the Lord at Shiloh where she brought him. Imagine that leaving this three-year-old. She had vowed to to do this, and so was fulfilling her vow. Justin got a picture of that, and so I appreciate that. And that even helps us to review, where were we? Oh yeah, we were at Shiloh. We're still there today. Uh, And Hannah is lending, or maybe a better sense, giving the asked one of the Lord back to the Lord. And so we come to our text. In particular, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 2. So we've come forward here, chapter 2, and we just want to begin by hearing from God's Word. So verses 1 through 10, we're going to really look at this morning, this prayer of Hannah, a wonderful prayer. So let's listen to it first thing and hear what God has to say. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord, my strength is exalted in the Lord, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There's none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the power of His anointed. Let's go to Lord once again. Father, again, as we come into your word and these spiritual things, Lord, are gleaned by your spirit, helping us understand. And so we thank you for your grace that gives us your spirit to give us wisdom into what's before us. Father, there is much treasure. There is much to be thankful for. There is much to much praiseworthy in just these 10 verses that we've just read together. Would you help us to see it today? Give us eyes, Lord, that are, that are not uh, focused on what we know and so, uh, so common. Yeah, we, we know. We've, yeah, He's holy. 
Lord, give us eyes to see your greatness, your great sovereignty, your great holiness, your great salvation in Christ. And we pray you do that as we work through this particular part of your word. And we pray your guidance in Jesus' name today. Amen. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a photo mosaic before, but if I show you one, you'll, you'll see it and you'll, it'll kind of instantly come to mind. You can put that up here. If you can see it from where I'm at, it looks like a bunch of little pictures, but hopefully as you blur your eyes, you can see the bigger picture there. You see the bird, hopefully. Um, in, the, in this, there are, a bunch, there's a, there are a bunch of bird-like pictures that somehow software can make a picture like this of a bird. And I've, in my research, you know, short as it is, you can, you can go online and I, maybe you can even send in all your pictures and they'll make a picture. Somehow the software does this out of your pictures and make another picture. But here, this is interesting because it's, it's a bird and yet all the little pictures are bird-like or have these bird qualities to them. And I think in a similar way, that's what we get in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Not of birds but of the Lord. We get this mosaic here, over verse by verse, almost phrase by phrase, of who God is and this, this greatness of God and what He does and all these things, so that at the end, hopefully, we look back and we say, what a treasure, what a God, what a praiseworthy Lord this is who we can exalt. And so we want to do that, look through here and get a, get a picture for our minds of how great our Lord is. But what a great time we get to just spend in the minutes together considering this, the greatness of the Lord and in, in, in the prayer of one named Hannah. You can divide up this prayer. Maybe there's multiple ways to divide up this prayer. It kind of looks like a psalm, doesn't it? It's kind of got the, the stanzas and that. And, and even a lot of these themes you'll see repeated in the psalms. I think, though, the first division here, I think, is maybe verses 1 through 2. All of this is really Hannah, you know, titled the sermon, My Heart Exalts in the Lord. It's really the, her first line here. And all these I'm seeing is, you know, kind of why can Hannah exalt in the Lord? And so one, verses 1 through 2, because there's no rock like our God. So why can Hannah exalt? There's no rock like our Lord. So let's head back. Look at verse 1 once again, where she prays and she says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies. Because I rejoice in your salvation. Remember here, Hannah is this, was, <laughs> the barren one. The Lord had closed her womb. That's we've seen already in the first chapter. She's prayed. We've seen her praying and pouring out. Her lips trembling, even pouring out her heart to the Lord so much that Eli the priest thought she was drunk. She wasn't. And then God answers this prayer and gives her a child, naming him Samuel. And our text then picks up at, right here after she's just, again, like Justin showed us in his picture, she's, uh, she's brought Samuel to the temple, to the Lord at Shiloh. She's given him, in a sense, back to the Lord. And so before us is a woman here. She's prayed so desperately for a child. She's given him back, which is kind of interesting. You'd almost think there'd be a prayer of lament, like, boy, I'm going to miss Samuel and oh, Count the days till I get to see him again. But instead, no, her heart rejoices. It exalts in the Lord. And her strength, it says, that second line, my strength is exalted in the Lord. And the word for strength there is interesting. If you've got 
Maybe your Bible has a little note that says, in the Hebrew, it means horn. Or she could be saying, my horn is exalted. It's a way of, you know, kind of an Old Testament way, I think, of speaking about strength, of horns. If you think of a great, remember in Colorado seeing the, you know, elk or think of a, a large buck, you know, with the, the rack or whatever. And that's just a picture of the, these horns or maybe a ram, whatever. They're just this sense of, you know, I won't even get into car commercials. Now I'm thinking of cars, ram, tough, or Ford, whichever one it is. You know, it's tough and it's the horns. There's this strength, the horn. So Hannah here says, my strength, my horn comes from God himself. My strength is exalted in the Lord. Maybe you could say by the Lord even there. But I don't think Hannah's uh, rejoicing here is, is just limited to her having a child. I don't know that this prayer is just a prayer of thanksgiving for a child, though it is that. I think there's that. But there's a wider view as well here. One writer, Dale Ralph Davis, who I'll use you know, off and on as we go through this, he uses terms here like God's kind of micro-salvation. That is Hannah uh, seeing she's been given a, a child. In a, in a micro-salvation way, the barren one has given birth. Kind of a micro-salvation. And then a, a macro-salvation, which is more kind of broad, even filtering in here, Israel in the coming king or Messiah. So, Say it again, maybe a different way. In the near view, in the near term, Hannah's, Hannah's near enemy, and my mouth derides my enemies, her near one was her rival wife, Panina, who provoked and irritated her. And Hannah's mouth that once prayed with the trembling lips, which is interesting, it now, it says it derides my enemies. And another way to translate that is, my mouth is enlarged against my enemies. And so I think we can see here a bit of Panina as an enemy of sorts, but yet it's enemies plural, and there's a macro, there's a bigger picture going on here as well, involving enemies. Mark Dunn writes this, he says, Hannah represented Israel in those barren and forlorn days. Her salvation was designed to encourage all Israel to hope for a greater Deliverance. Do you kind of see the near and the, the, to use that terminology, the near and the far, or the, 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 the small and the large? Here's salvation, salvation in a way of the child, and yet the great salvation, the great deliverance it would be for Israel. Maybe in the near term here, for Israel with the Philistines, other enemies of them. But then can we not think of even a greater deliverance and a salvation from sin? We'll see that a little bit later. Well, look at verse 2 as we're still in the realm of looking to God here. Verse 2 then, she proclaims, There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There's no rock like our God. We heard that in the passage Milt read this, this morning as well. Hannah's exclusive worship is for God alone, isn't it? And this God, he's holy we think of holiness, he's pure, he's set apart. There is none beside him. There are simply no other gods. There's none besides him. God used Moses, if you think back to Israel in capti- captivity of sorts, in bondage, in slavery, in Egypt. God used Moses in Exodus 9 to explain the purpose of the plagues to Pharaoh. Do you remember the purpose of the plagues? He says to Pharaoh, that you, Pharaoh, and really the Egyptians, that you may know 
Why all these plagues? You may know that there is none like me, none like God in all the earth. Or God proclaims, again, Isaiah 46, 9. He says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So God is holy. There's no other God. And nor is there a rock like our God, like Hannah's God. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, speaks of God in this way. It says there, The rock, His work is perfect. For all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. Hannah knows this God. And I dare say she knows Him that much better. Why? Because of the years of suffering she's been in. When we did an intro for this book. We said there's kind of a bookend. This, this poetry here, this prayer almost forms one of the bookends, and the other is near the end of 2 Samuel. And there, I'll just read a little bit from 2 Samuel 22, where David says, kind of finishes this way in a, in a sense, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. So we've got this rock language in the beginning, in the end. David goes on, he's my God, he's my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn. Now you know. Oh, horn. We know strength, horn. The horn of my salvation. Is that comforting words there? What's the strength of your salvation? Not you. It's the Lord. That's David saying, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. Question for you this morning. Can you say this along with David and along with Hannah? There's none holy, there's none besides you, there's no rock like my God. Is God your rock? Is He your refuge? Has He been your refuge? Or have you said, you know what, maybe something else will satisfy, something else will give me what, I know there's God, it's kind of old, it's old news, I don't know all this Old Testament stuff, but I I need something current. Is He your God? This is a holy God. There's none besides Him. There are no other gods like this God. And there is no rock like our God. So Hannah can exalt in the Lord because there's no rock like our God. And as we get into verses 3 through 5 here, she can exalt because by Him actions are weighed. Look at verse 3 now. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. It's almost here, it's like Hannah's enlarged mouth is now speaking to the enemy of sorts. Kind of, She's really saying here, talk no more so very proudly, or forget all your proud talking and boasting. And does she go, <clears throat> panina? You know, kind of that idea along with it. Why? Because God knows everything. He's a God of perfect Knowledge And he alone, it says, he weighs or he, he measures the actions of men and he alone knows the heart. So then verses 4 through 5 seem to be kind of a listing and perhaps here of the, the arrogant and then you've got the feeble, kind of this compare and contrast here. So look at 4 and 5. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. 
The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The mighty with their bows, they look strong. The full, those who were full, they look satisfied. Those who have children look fully content. But what may look one way is in reality something else. Even the bows of the mighty are broken. I think there's a way to translate the bows of the mighty. are they, they're, they're trembling. They, they thought they were mighty and now they're trembling. And so God here, in a twist, He gives strength to him who has none, the feeble. He gives food to who? The hungry. And He gives seven. I think seven is not you know, just a counting, but it's that perfect sense to the barren. And see this tie into Hannah's life here. And I kind of even hear, do you hear the Beatitudes of Jesus? Think of the Sermon on the Mount. And the, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the meek, or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those ideas. The reality here is that the feeble and the hungry and the barren in the Lord fare better than the rich and fertile. They fare better in the Lord. But whether it is, whether we have plenty or want, whether we are rich or poor, let us just affirm here, there's no other God besides our God. There's no rock like our God. And so He weighs the heart. And so we want our hearts to be found. What does He find in there? Is it resting and living for Him? No matter what. Are you rich? Are you poor? Are you mighty? Maybe in the world's eyes. Are you weak? Where is your heart? Full quiver of children or or wishing you had one? Where is our heart? Looking to the Lord or looking to other gods? And so God here, He's a God of salvation. He's a God ultimately of strength, a holy God. He's a rock to those who look to Him. He's an omniscient. He's an all-knowing God. And now Hannah's prayer exalts in the Lord because He alone is the sovereign God. Look at verses 6 and 7. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. The phrases we see here, kind of these, these ends of the spectrum, my study Bible, the ESV study Bible, calls them merisms. Let me explain what those are. They do. They're expressions in which two words on the extreme ends of a scale are used to express everything on the whole scale. The Lord controls not only birth and death, but also the whole of life in between. So you've got these extreme ends and everything in between. It's all under God's control. And Hannah acknowledges here God's sovereignty over death and life and that nothing happens outside of God's perfect and holy will. And so in verse 7, you've got the back and forth continuing. The Lord makes poor. He makes rich. He brings low. And He exalts and we continue in verse 7 we get this impression the strong teaching that God what God does and, and then his control over death and life the poor and the rich all this and in all this he's holy and in all of this he's righteous we may not understand the why of God with our finite mind but God accomplishes all things here for his eternal purposes for his glory a couple other 
verses here and there that would just maybe highlight this. Psalm 93.5 says of the Lord, it says, Your decrees are very trustworthy. We can trust this God does this and makes this and hear this and causes this. We can trust Him. His decrees are trustworthy. Psalm 74, thinking of day and night, says, Yours is the day. Yours also the night. Or Proverbs 16, verse 4 says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for the day of trouble. That's what He's done. Or there's Job. Again, Job, if, if you're in the two-year plan, you're, you're midway through Job, you're walking through Job, and it's just this, this book in here. But towards the end, God's essentially responded to Job, kind of saying, you know, where were you when, or you know, can you do this or that? And Job finally responds, chapter 42, and he says, I know, speaking to the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God is sovereign. We can rejoice in His hand, His righteous hand. And then verse 8 points to this God who also raises one up. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world God raises and lifts up the poor and needy. The, the word for ash heap is interesting here. I think if you've got a King James, they're going to translate it as a dunghill. Yes, we said that in a sermon. Uh, 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 I won't go into what all that means. I'll let your parents explain more. But here's a dunghill or an ash heap. Ash heap sounds a little more better, you know. But there was such a thing as a dung gate, and I have ideas of what went through the dung gate to go be put on the dunghill. But... That's the idea. So get a picture of it. That's, it's, it's not to just explain a word, but get a picture of where this person is. Call it an ash heap or a dunghill. That's where they're at. That's where God is going to lift someone from. One commentary points out these images. They go from the, the deepest degradation and, and really shame here to... Sitting upon, just think of the the contrast, sitting upon the chair or throne of glory, the seat occupied by noble princes. The Lord does all this for He is the Creator and Upholder of the world. That's God who raises up the poor from the dunghill, puts them on a throne. And so the Lord is sovereign. And we see even in the last line here, verse 8, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. Think of pillar there as a foundational support. One writer notes this, God owns the pillars of the earth. Therefore, He has control over everything that happens on the earth. I, I think here we need to see beyond physical pillars. I don't know that we can go searching, where are those pillars and find these physical pillars? There's an idea here. It's the idea that the one who lays the foundation of the world and the earth, he's the same one that governs the world and the earth. And so with all this kind of background going on of this rock, the God of salvation, this holy one, he's an all-knowing God, he's a sovereign God, we get to verse 9 that says, He, all before who? He will guard the feet of of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might 
shall a man prevail. The same one who governs the earth and the world and the pillars of the earth will guard the feet of his faithful ones. Some translate faithful ones as his holy ones or saints. And kind of interesting here, even the word, there's a kind of a link in this word to that, that Old Testament Hebrew word of hesed. We think of God's covenantal love when we think of hesed, his love. So one commentator, Ronald Youngblood, he sees this as meaning then that, that God guards the feet of one to whom the Lord has pledged his covenant love. So like he guards the feet of his loved one, you could almost say. And I don't know which way to take that, but that's kind of interesting when you think of the, the baseline, the foundation of the word being used there, this hesed one. And there's faithfulness, but who's doing it? it? No matter how we translate it, God's faithful ones are who? They're his, and he does what? The mighty God who owns the pillars guards their feet. So we want to get a, when we get a glimpse here of God's majesty, his strength, then it's really foolishness for us to trust in our own strength, isn't it? As if I can keep my own way. Yeah, no thanks, Lord. I'll, you guard the feet. I'll, I'll try it on my own. I'll, I'll do it my way. And this doesn't negate, it doesn't cancel out the, the discipline of walking in Christ, the discipline of being a living sacrifice, following the Lord wholeheartedly. Well, what does this say? Ultimately, it is the Lord who carries us. He guards our feet. But what about the wicked ones? What about those? They're cut off in darkness. And this theme of judgment on God's enemies, it continues into verse uh, 10 here, where it says, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the power of His anointed. Now before we look at King and the anointed one, we want to see that. Consider first here God's judgment. You see what it's called here? He, his judgment is a thunderous judgment. They'll be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. I assume many of you have heard thunder nearby when, you hear, when you're in a storm and everything. You hear the thunder far off, but there's that one thunder that's just and it's And it, you feel it here and you go, whoa, that thing came. I wonder here if God has given us thunder, not so that we can kind of lightly say, have you ever heard this? I think I've heard this. That's just God moving the furniture up there. You've heard that? Hannah's prayer is not God moving furniture. There's a thunderous sense of righteous judgment. That thunder towards the wicked, the unrighteous, the the adversaries of the Lord who shall be broken to pieces. And so this same sovereign Lord also holds men accountable. No matter where, even to the ends of the earth here, It talks about this. Man's accountable for what they have done and ultimately for their rejection and their sin against a holy God. And so here again, we seem far beyond just the enemy of Panina here at this point. But lest we think, oh, yeah, well, good for the Lord. He ought to deal with those wicked ones. They're just a bunch of evil people. He, yes, go get them. Go get those wicked 
we remember we'd be wise to consider our own hearts today and your own heart today. One of the best ways to consider that is a book we just came out of, Romans chapter 3, where it says in part there in chapter 3, none is righteous, no, not one. We think we can kind of look back at this and go, well, we're not those wicked. Surely we're not them. Paul counters that, no, none. He actually counters it with Old Testament text, but no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. To which later verse 23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of this glory of God. This holy God, in our sin, we've fallen short. And so God would be just and right to forever judge every single one of us in our sin. But in God's grace, a king has come. Look again at that last part of verse 10. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. In Hannah's day, there was yet not an earthly king in Israel. There would be soon. And as First Samuel continues, God's going to raise up a king. He's going to raise up uh, through Samuel, not Samuel, but through first Saul the king, and then David, and then Solomon, and so forth. And we know that things don't go well there in terms of the kings, but that's the, the literal, literal the kingship that goes on. And so and then in the near term here, yes, God's going to raise up a, uh, a king here through Samuel, an an anointed one. Even that word anointed here is interesting. He's going to give strength. I think even the strength is uh, horn again, that idea, but he's going to exalt the power of his anointed. And if you look at the Hebrew, the word there is basically what we know as Messiah. God's going to exalt the power of his Messiah. It's really the first place Messiah is mentioned. and We're right there, right here. But in the scope of God's Word, then, we can look beyond verse 10 to a greater king. Psalm 2 is going to speak of the the Lord's anointed one saying this. It says, kiss the Son. Which Son? Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. And so one greater than Saul, one greater than David, was coming. One that would raise poor and pitiful sinners, not from a physical dunghill, but from the dunghill of sin and raise them up to sit with Him forever. You know who that is? Who is that king? Well, I want to connect us from this song of Hannah to another song in the New Testament. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. No, we're not in Christmas, but we are. And there's another song here. It's the song of Mary. If you find verse 46, you'll be there. Luke chapter 1, verse 46, the song of Hannah. And then we're coming to a song of Mary in the New Testament. Here we're going to see, I think, see in this, you're going to hear maybe familiar tunes coming out with the coming arrival of the Messiah. So you can head to Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Just a little background, the angel Gabriel has visited Mary and spoken to her of this child to be born, and he has said, um, it's verse 32, he said, he will be great, 
And he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. Sounds like a king, doesn't it? And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then we get Mary's response later in verse 46 here. So Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Doesn't this sound familiar like Hannah? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Samuel again would go on to anoint Saul and David, but a greater anointed one was coming. This greater son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who came to save sinners. To bring them to himself according to the eternal purpose of God. And for any and all who would turn from sin and, and the expectation of God's his right, his thunderous judgment, for any that would turn from that sin and look by faith to Jesus as Abraham did, will be counted righteous. Not because of their turning or their strength or their own might, but because of His grace and what He offers when we simply trust in Christ and in His cross. And so those in Christ who have kissed the Son, if you will, to use that language, bowing down to Him, taking refuge in Him, we can have the same hopeful treasures of God that Hannah had in 1 Samuel chapter 2. He's a God who gives us strength, who saves us. He's a rock we can lean on. He's a God who will deal justly with the wicked and who has not dealt with us as our sins deserve, but in His mercy, in His grace, justified all who are in Christ by His atoning death. And He's a God who righteously reigns over all things. So how do we respond to that? How do we respond to the mosaic of who this Lord is? This sermon and the application of it, I don't think it's a... Maybe there's a go do this and you know read His Word to find Him more, but I think... The only response is praise Him. Exalt the Lord. Worship Him. Today we're doing that. We're gathered to do it. And then we go out from here and this afternoon and and as you wake up and in your days we praise this Lord who is a rock, who is holy, who is our salvation, who brings us up from the dunghill of sin by His grace that we deserved to be there and to be punished eternally. And yet in His grace, pulled us up out of the muck cleaned us off, and so we live with Him. There's much reason 
to praise the Lord. And so may we join with Hannah and Mary here and others in the Scriptures and the psalmist to praise this Lord for His salvation. Let's do that. Let's bow in prayer. So Lord, we've been talking about You. Now we get to talk to You and communicate. We've heard from You in Your Word. A kaleidoscope of treasure. Thank You for what You have given us. This is all by Your grace. It's all by Your mercy. The truths here are nothing we deserve. It is not by my, by my might, by our might, that we've gotten to the place we are. We are here sheerly, by, sheerly and surely by Your grace and Your mercy that has lifted us up out of sin and shown us a Savior that we might hold on to Him and follow Him forever. Lord, I pray for any here today with us that don't know Christ in this way, that don't know Him as Savior and Rock and the Righteous One and the Eternal One and the One who forgives, that they would know You today. And Lord, may all of us go forth. May we, may we do things, be disciplined in praying, in reading Your Word, in searching You out, in fellowship. All the means and the gifts You've given us are so important, but may they flow in us and drive us back to praise. That our lives would not be just on the, the knowledge side, but the knowledge would be used that we would praise you. And so guide us in this and we do take a moment to glorify your name for what you've done to ones that deserve eternity apart from you now. Thank you for your grace. May we praise you until we get to see you face to face and then praise you for eternity. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.